and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Hello, good morning. Um, can I have the lights up just a little bit? I do like to see people's faces, even though it sometimes makes it harder. It's all right, though. I'd still rather see your face. Um, I've got to share in two parts this morning. The first part will be slightly longer than the second, and we'll see where we get to. I've tied myself in a lot of knots to get to here this morning, but I think I'm somewhere good. Um, <laughs> we'll see, shall we? In um, 1996, I was at York University training to be a teacher, and um, we were all sitting there all bright-eyed, never having been in the classroom and having actually done the job, so of course we knew best. And um, we were talking about, um, we were learning how to teach Shakespeare. And so, of course, the lecturer at the time proposed that there's two ways that you can teach Shakespeare. Some teachers like to teach the whole text, so there's this absolute integrity to recovering the whole text. Um, so then you've got the full story, and then whatever question comes up in your exam or in your coursework, you will know it so well, doesn't matter what questions you get, because you're going to be able to answer it. So we were like, yes, we will do that. And then she said, but obviously some teachers choose only to teach certain extracts from the play because they guess what questions might come up. Um, and they realise there's a finite amount of time when you're teaching students, and so they don't teach the whole play. So, of course, we were like, oh, terrible. How terrible that the teachers don't teach the whole play. What are they thinking? So, of course, I went in to teach my first year 10 class in 1997. There was 19 boys. There was four girls. I was 22. Um, I had fun in that class. Um, and I taught the entirety of Macbeth for a whole term. I read it cover to cover cover to cover, every single page. I didn't understand it all, and certainly they didn't understand most of it, but we had fun. And then they came to answer a question on a piece of coursework, and they didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue, and yet we'd been through the whole thing, and we'd been through the whole thing, and it was all so wonderful. Now, you can hear something, you can study something, you can be taught something, but until you're faced with the question, you don't know if you can answer it. And so I have been in this church this September for 30 years, since I was 18 years old. And um, I have learnt and studied. And then in the last year, I have been leading here. And apparently some of you don't realise that I've been doing that. My group who are around me reliably inform me that maybe not all of you are clear that I have been taking a leadership role here. But I have. It's not rudderless, I promise. I'm working very hard at it. And you're free to ask anybody how I've been doing that, if you wish. But... Um, I, I, it hasn't been without a leader, I promise you it hasn't. Um, and for as long as that next bit is, I will take up that 
post and continue to do that because it's important. But when you suddenly have to apply what you have listened to, the questions that come up you realise you can't answer. The questions that are thrown on at you when you're the person leading a thing, you're like, oh, Anthony Chris, just come back. Just... <laughs> Just come back because I don't want to answer these questions. So it has done me the world of good. It has done my faith the world of good because you find all of your gaps. And in all honesty, some of you might think, my goodness me, why do these people who come on stage have to take it all so seriously and go over all this stuff? Because when you're the one that has to have the answers when the pressure's on you in the moment, you realise you don't have some, and that's quite terrifying. And so when you see some of us struggle or when you hear me struggle, and I, I will always be very open, it's because there's questions that have come up in the last year that I haven't had to be the one who's answering them and now I have and so you have to push yourself into getting out of the picture that you've had in your life to that flood hitting you full square to work out I'm drowning here and what do I believe not what have I heard but what do I believe and what do I stand to and do I only believe it because someone told me it or do I believe it because it rings true across my life with integrity um, and I take that really seriously and I know everybody who comes upon this stage every week I see how seriously they are taking what they're bringing but they can only do it and I can only do it from where we are and that's integrity so if it's not quite saying it how you need it to be said or we're not quite on the page you're on it wouldn't be honest for us to pretend to be when we're not so we have to do it that way, and I have to do it this way this morning. If I tell you that I got to 10,000 words for my talk this morning, I hope you've bought a pack up. Um, and I've stripped it back down to a lot, considerably less. Um, I know there's gaps in what I'm saying. I promise you I do. I've, I promise you I do. But I have to paint an outline this morning and see where we get. Are we all ready? Okay, so I am incredibly interested in the concept of God, the divine, and how, as humans, we connect and interact, and what that actually means for life. Not in theory, but what it actually means. Um, it delights me, frustrates me, gives me meaning, and it sends me reeling in equal measure. If you've been following in any way the takeover of Wrexham Football Club by the two Hollywood stars... One of them, Ryan Reynolds, discovered the wonder of this football thing. Of course, in America, they don't have in the same way. And this is what he said about football. And if I tell you that this is how I feel about all this, uh, you'll kind of get the spirit of it. Football, whatever you want to put in there, is a beautiful, heartbreaking, soul-deadening, evil and gorgeous game. And I'm never sleeping again. Um, I sometimes do feel the same, but like in the clip, that's because the picture on all that has been the local and global church on the wall for my life um, sometimes hits you like that flood in the clip, sweeps you off your feet, smashes you into all the carefully placed furniture of your life and pushes you right into the middle of all the tensions that have been in that home and suddenly you're somewhere else thinking... Oh boy. <laughs> um, and the flood for you might come in the form of a surprise situation. That's often when the flood hits us. When the biggest questions come up in life, you're like, surprise, and you're like, oh, 
this is raising all sorts of questions for me, or a difficult conversation where you're quite happy until somebody brings that challenge or just cuts across your thinking process, or a barrier that you just can't get past or control in your life, and then suddenly the world's not what you thought it was. And like that Eustace scrub in the clip, the, the, the younger lad who's had to put up with these two irritating cousins talking about this other world called Narnia for all these months, um, all the while while squatting under his roof, all of a sudden, he, he swept away too. And suddenly, we've become immersed in a world beyond the picture, and we're not ignorant or separate anymore. But Eustace found himself rammed full of questions, and as the film goes on to show, he is full of indignation. His world is upended, and he's not a happy boy. And, but for Lucy and Edmund, who have already experienced and understood that this other world exists... The movement for them is exciting. So the same movement can be exciting for some and fill other people with absolute indignation. But it's the same experience because the same event happening in the same room can have very different experiences depending on where we are. We know that and we've heard it many times because we all have these backdrops of our lives and our experience. And it's not the experience itself that can be blamed for all the things in your life. It's how we experience the experience that determines so much. So the backdrop refers to a background or setting of a situation or event, and it creates pictures in front of which our lives play out. And I've got a visual here for you because I want this concept to stick in your mind. So here's some pictures of some film backdrops. In the background, did you know it was a picture? It's just a picture. I mean, it sort of looks like a picture because technology's moved on. So that's the Wizard of Oz, and in the background, of course, they're just performing in front of a canvas. It's not a real set. Let's have a look at the next one. I thought this was quite spectacular. Look at that picture. Quite stunning. And the next one, this one's from the... That, was, that one was North by Northwest by Alfred Hitchcock. I didn't know that. That's The Last Samurai. So, I mean, that could be a place, but it's actually a picture. Now... We've updated a lot since then, and we now have CGI, computer-generated imagery, and we've got green screens. So if you look at the next one, in the Marvel films, that's what they're really doing at the bottom, and that's what we see on our screens at the top. So clever, so clever, but they're just in a room that's green, performing, and then all of that gets imposed on top of it, and the next one's stunning as well. Like, I mean, look at that. that. It's Life of Pi. So that's where he really is on the left. And then that's what it looks like to us on the right. So there's the picture. And then there's the stuff that the programming does on top of the picture. And it's not just backdrops as well, because you can actually change the appearance of actors now. So here's the Hulk. So that's how he has to perform. <laughs> and then he becomes green. And this one I thought was really remarkable. You might know this, but um, if the actor Paul Walker died while he was filming. So they took his brother, had his brother play out the scenes in the rest of the film, and then just computer-generated his, his face onto his brother's face because they were close enough. I mean, how? So you don't even have to be in the movie to be in the movie. So you can be dead and in the movie. I mean, that might be a picture for life occasionally, I thought. Um, now, we all have scenery and these backdrops to our lives, and we interact with one another all the time with our changing face. We're physically changing with the passing of time, as I've just discovered when Chris has given me a picture from 25 years ago, where I look about three. Um, <laughs> wonderfully. Um, and 
changing our worldview and the way we change and we update ourselves. And why I am so interested in this and how it applies to the God story still is because I've been around it my whole life as my backdrop picture. And I know I am programmed through and through to be a faithful church attender. My dad's a minister, still a minister, still doing his own ministry at 70 odd. He's 77, is he? Still, he's just considering stepping down as an elder. It's taken us 10 years to talk him into stepping down as an elder. And I think he's, he's sort of promised my mum now. So we'll see. Um, and a seeker of all that means. But I want to know if I'm choosing consciously what I'm doing at, or, or if I'm doing it out of programming and where I need an update. Um, now, I read this this week, which sort of told me why I want this so much. You want to spot the clever ways that you personally push back from daily reality or they will run your life and you will never spot them. You will think you are thinking and choosing when you are actually just operating according to program. To get out of your programming is a big part of what we mean by consciousness. So we encourage curiosity here. And about more than our religious devotions to faith expressions in church, some of you are religiously devoted to other practices in your life. They are your programming. And so what are the key situations and events that have programmed so much in you? Um, if I can have that next picture. My sister and I tried to paint a picture of the significant situations and events for our parents' wedding anniversary. This will mean nothing to you, but every single one of the things on those pictures tells me something about my mum and dad's life and a lot about my childhood. Just in a series of pictures, it's a great gift, by the way. If you've got... Parents celebrating anniversaries, they love it. It's up in their living room. But we tried to pick all the things that represent different parts of their life together and with us and as they've got older. And we tried to put it on one, one picture. Um, some stuff was really challenging to put on there because there's been some quite significant events in my family that you're thinking, how do you put that on a picture and it'd be happy on the wall? But um, we, my, my sister had a bit of a dark humoured laugh about some things, but it's a lovely picture. But it's not about actually all the stuff, it's how would, how would we judge all the stuff on that picture? There's some stuff on that picture that could make me feel really sad. Looks a really pretty picture, doesn't it? But there's some stuff on there that I'm like, ooh, yeah, that was a tough bit. Um, and how we would judge all of that stuff that's been programmed into us. And remember, judgment isn't always negative. It's to form an opinion or conclusion about. So there's the stuff in our life and then there's all the judgments we've got about the stuff and what that means. And we've all got a version of that. Thanks, you can take that down now, Charlie, thank you. Um, and when do we maybe need the water to wash that picture away of the stuff and for it to really be about more than what's in the picture and what's behind all that stuff and that's come into us. Now, I want to share a hypothesis this morning. <laughs> of, um, of a backdrop that I've had to update. The stuff that was in my picture about God and faith, and we've shared things like this before, I've had to update it, and I've updated it to this that I'm calling a hypothesis because I can't prove it's true. I really can't. I have read so much to prepare for this morning, and I've read things that I think would support my hypothesis, and I have things, read things to support what... Well, I've read the opposite, knowing it wouldn't, because I thought I've got to read both... Um, and that sent me to very interesting places, I can tell you. And so both, are, both ways of looking at this stuff I'm going to share this morning, both you can back up with scripture. 
depending on how you read it. Both of the books I've read have used scriptures to support opposite hypotheses. And that's why this stuff's so hard. So I can only go with where I've got to and the, some of the common ground I've found and some of what resonates in me, because that's all I can do. And, and a hypothesis is an idea or theory that is not proven, but that leads to further study or discussion. And it's not new. We've heard it here before. But back to what I said earlier, it's been applied to me in a new way with new questions. Um, so let's have a look at this last, this just image that, again, we've seen before, but we've added a twist at the end. Oh, that's intriguing, isn't it? Don't get too excited. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Now, when we played this last time, of course, all of our individual beings zoomed out to be the Earth, but we've, I don't know if you can see, we've made it look like it's soaking. Can you see that? Sort of like it's a wet thing. Um, because actually, the idea that we live in a world, for me now, that has been absolutely soaked with God through and through, like through and through, you can't take it out, it's, it's in there, is actually something that I do propose. I think we live in a world where God is, I am, life itself, and it's already soaked the universe, the cosmos, and the earth through and through. That it is an evolutionary flow that's going to keep moving, with the universe forever expanding, an ongoing in life creation and a, a resurrection, if you will, and that we can each become conscious of this and flow in and with this. And that, sorry, one second. And that we can each become conscious of this and flow in and with this understanding, although it can be really tricky because of what's in our programming, as I'll explain. And that this has never been separate from humanity. That when this soaking happened, it happened, and it happened and it's now there and hasn't ever been removed. Now, there are other names for God, and actually any name for God is incredibly limiting because as soon as you define it, it's really difficult to undefine it, and everybody takes on a version of it. But one such proposal in the Bible is that I am. Others can be chi, which is energy or a life force. I prefer calling it at the minute, I prefer calling it Christ, that that soaking is a Christ-soaked world. That's the the, the language that I'm finding most helpful for reasons, again, that I think will become clear. Now, such ideas have been presented at Q before as hypotheses, and, but I'm doing it again because, like I say, I've got to revisit it because I've been getting stuck on some of this because I've been feeling separate to God. And I'm like, if, that's, if the world is Christ-soaked, why are the times when I am on my own Often, when, mostly when I'm on my own, where the whole thing I feel completely disconnected from. Yet I don't hear. Right now, I don't, don't feel disconnected at all. What is all that? What is this coming and going we seem to do as people sometimes? Um, now, I'm going to share it because I think I'm just being a human, connecting openly with you as humans, and it might help some of you. But I also have learned some interesting things as I've worked through this. So incarnation, that idea that we get that soaked um, has been the backdrop of the Christian church for many, 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 many years. But it's mostly linked to Jesus, the person who embodies in the flesh the deity, spirit, or quality. But many mystic traditions take it further, and they see that there's multiple versions of this incarnation. So they see that the first incarnation was creation itself, that sort of picture. Whoever, whatever God is, it's in the earth first. It's all in. 
That's the first incarnation. The second incarnation was then where we saw it in Jesus, where we saw the Christ separate to Jesus in Jesus and how a human being can absorb that soaking and outwork it as a human in human flesh. That was the second experience. And it says, instead of God came into the world through Jesus, which some, some people say that's the backdrop. The world was the world. It wasn't all completely soaked. Well, it maybe was at the beginning, but then it got unsoaked by decisions people made, and then it got, the water went away, and then it had to come back in. Um, that's more, that doesn't, I find that harder to get my head around, if I'm honest. But instead of God came into the world through Jesus, maybe it would be better to say that Jesus came out of an already Christ-soaked world. So Christ is not Jesus' last name, and it's not only attached to Jesus. Christ is that all expression, one of the names that we could call God. So we've talked about the ocean before as well. A wave is made up entirely of the ocean, but it is not the whole ocean, and I do get that. The wave is not all there is, but is made of the same stuff of all that is. Fascinating. Has anybody lost yet? Are we all right? Um, and for me, this sort of has redeemed the word Christian because the Ian bit, the suffix, is belonging to, following, resembling. resembling. So a Christian is someone who realizes what they belong to, follow to, and resemble, not just Jesus, or it would be a Jesus-ian. Um, this wider incarnation that Jesus resembled too. Right, brace yourself. Yes, I am hypothesizing that you and I are made of the same stuff as Jesus and that he helps us with the picture of how humanity acts in this Christ-conscious way, but he's not the only expression of it. He is perhaps just the best expression of where we've seen it recorded and the one we can look back to. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I feel like I'm in deep now, so I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So, this leads to three. If the first incarnation is Christ-soaked, boom, it's all soggy. It's all in. Then the second is like Christ, Jesus comes out of that Christ-soaked earth to show, show, show us, to show us how the Christ can be expressed through humanity within the Christ-soaked earth. The third one, then, is that we have become part of that, too, that in the ongoing community, the body of Christ, we're also bodies. Jesus was a body of Christ. We can be a body of Christ, which is evolving throughout human history. So the body of Christ is the body of Christ. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Um... I say it like that, it sounds so simple. I don't know what I've been <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing for the last four weeks. Now, now, not that people who are better than other people no, hang on, let me phrase this right. The body of Christ doesn't then necessarily only relate to people who have said certain prayers in church and are in church. Human beings are the body of Christ. There most might be some who know that they are and some who might not. And those people might be in church or not be in church. Oh, can you, it's big though, isn't it? Oh, okay, right. It's a hypothesis, you don't have to agree with me. That's the wonder, that's the wonder. Um, now, as an aside, because some of you will be interested and have, maybe have it in mind, arguably the mystics say there might be a fourth incarnation, which is the whole kind of idea of the second coming of Christ. 
But you could more accurately translate that as the forever coming of Christ. Not a one-off future event, but the ongoing promise of resurrection, the ongoing life, that this whole thing is just going to keep flowing. Keep flowing, keep flowing. Um, Now, the backdrop of much of church history since Jesus has been to frame the need and driver for for faith in God is that at the beginning, we had this God in the earth thing, but then sin became a problem and separated us from God, apart from some who could then find the solution by either looking ahead cosmically to what Jesus was going to do on the cross or looking back to what Jesus did do on the cross. I'm simplifying, but that's the outline. And we colour that in, in all sorts of ways. But I hope what I'm trying to show you visually is how, if the whole thing is soaked people who represent the body of Christ, if, 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 even if that picture of people made mistakes and they separated somehow, how does that all come out? Was it just evaporated off? And why? Um, now, I could follow all these thoughts this morning, and I was tempted to, which is why I got to 10,000 words, but I can't, I can't go there. I've just got to stick with my line of thought. But I want to sum it up in one way specifically this morning, to say that because we have all these questions and all this programming tells us it was like that, that's why we can all struggle, well, I won't say all, I can struggle, and perhaps some of you do, with this idea of this cosmic separation, that there's times when I'm with God, there's times when I'm not, there's times when I'm in his presence, there's times when I'm not, there's times when it's there and when it's not, because this programming of this story that we had introduced separation. Now, if that's true, that's one thing, but if that's not true, then that programming has to be updated, because it's very limiting, Now, my whole old program sometimes feels so hardwired, especially when certain scenes play out in my life and they appear on the stage in front of that picture. And I feel myself withdraw and become how I would describe very passive in my own life and I wait to be saved. There's a bit of me that waits to be saved because that's what I did for a really long time. And I mean, actually... I'm going, to, I'm going to really make a stretch here and put myself in company with Mother Teresa. I'm a long way from Mother Teresa, but just allow me to make the point. I just thought it was really interesting that you would look at Mother Teresa and think she was one of the most greatest God-loving serving icons of our time. She radiated joy. She said this, Christ is in our hearts, Christ in the poor we meet, Christ in the smile we give and in the smile that we receive. Now, 11 weeks before she said that, she confessed to her reverend, Michael van der Piet. She said this, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. Listen and do not hear. Her public expression was very different when she sat in private. And how true is that for us? And I wonder whether she knew consciousness in her work sometimes conflicted with how she expected to experience it in private. God is universal, but we each wrestle with the personal because it doesn't always compute with our programming. When people become conscious of some of this stuff, um, 
there may well and often be a transformation quickly over time, which we could say is because they've got more of God or because God intervened. But we could equally say that it might be because we've understood something, the programming in our consciousness, in that body that of Christ, gets updated and all of a sudden it's like we get a new upload. Something can spark, something can flow, not because we have more of God, but because more of us is awake to the God we already had. Um, most of us are fortunate to be living unconscious of our bodies this morning. I've got a poorly toe, that's about it. But some of you are living very conscious of your body because you may be in pain or in challenge. Um, and actually, our bodies do a lot that we're not conscious of. So what I'm saying to you isn't as weird as it sounds. There's a lot that's going on in you that you don't know is going on in you. T tell me how your kidneys are doing this morning. Anyone know? I don't know how mine are... Well, I assume they're working, actually. But um, <laughs> there are ways to know, I've just realised. But, um, but this, is, this is just before I pause. Um, we know that this is true. We know that there are things that we live un not conscious of all the time, but that are very real. Billions of people wake up every day precariously balanced upon a rock travelling at 62,627 miles per hour around the sun in a galaxy that is in itself moving at 1,342,160 miles per hour in relation to extragalactical frames of reference. Our three-pound brain churns through 11 million bits of information per second, and our 10-ounce heart pumps five litres of blood through 100,000 miles of tubing. What? Talk about amazingly made. Um, now, thing are, things are happening unconsciously all the time, and what I'm going to propose is that this God, Christ I'm talking about, might just be everywhere... Everything, every when, might just be there and we might just be more of the body of Christ than we have ever understood before. Right, let's pause. Okay, right, final part then. Really interestingly, um, I think we first showed that clip um, in 2001 as part of our Magical Move Me moments. And I think Graham and I introduced it in the moment that you've just hand me a handed me a picture of Graham and I introducing that clip. That's weird, isn't it? There you go. That's the stuff that you're like, what? Um, now, um, if I... I'm going to give context to that clip in a moment if you're not familiar with it. But if I can't be separate, except in my understanding of my separateness or not, if it's in my mind, in my consciousness, um, I can feel separate a lot and perhaps you do too like you're trying to connect but you can't because of all this stuff that's going on in our head and we can feel a little bit all at sea I love that expression the idea when you're all at sea it means you're confused you're not sure what to do you're like ah, what's all this about um, and I always associated the all at sea feelings with the fact that I must somehow be separated and now I think perhaps it means that sometimes we're in this ocean called life. We're literally all at sea. Um, working out which direction we're going to swim in. 
and finding the strength we need to move at times by updating our definitions and understanding so that we find that flow in life. Um, and in the film, you've just seen, it's, from, uh, it's an old clip from a film called Gattaca. The society uses eugenics to genetically enhance humans and they split society into valids and invalids. If you are genetically enhanced, you've got the extra, you're valid. If you've not been enhanced now, you're invalid. Sorry. And this plays out in one family because Vincent is conceived naturally. So his genetic profile, which they've examined, indicates a high probability of several disorders and an estimated life span of 30.2 years. Very specific. And so his, his parents, realizing, oh, well, that's not great, decide to genetically engineer their second son, Antoine, so that he's a valid and they split them in society and everything else. And growing up, the two brothers play that game of chicken by swimming out to sea as far as possible. Now, Antoine always wins because he's genetically enhanced, apparently. That's why he wins. And Vincent always loses. But Vincent dreams of having a life that only a valid could have. And he starts to catch a different spirit about him. Even though he's always reminded of his genetic inferiority, he catches something and says, what if I'm not inferior? What if I'm more than I have been told that I am? And one day he just decides he's going to keep swimming. Not with a fear of what will happen if he doesn't turn back, but like, no, I am going to keep swimming and save nothing for my swim back. And I think we've all got some work potentially to do on our valid, invalid definitions that we carry in life. Um, Vincent saved nothing for the return journey. He went one direction only rather than return to the safety of the shore of what he'd been told he was. But we can also be Antoine, Anton, Antoine, Anton. We have our things that make us valid, superior, above and we don't want those to be challenged. If Vincent turns out to be okay, without the deficiency or the need to be modified in some way, what does that say about Anton? And if Vincent refuses to accept the definition that he is inferior, but catches the spirit that he can be all in, what might be possible that he has been programmed to think is impossible when he takes away that understanding of himself? So I just found it really interesting that the spirit of what it would take to set a new course was not found in the brother labelled valid, but in the brother labelled invalid, which sounds really familiar to me to how Jesus interacted with people. And our understanding of valid and not valid expressions of God, of Christ in the earth, may need updating. And again, some of the apostles' stories did, for those of you who are familiar with some of those. Now, I like the idea shared previously at Q that I come back to a lot. The idea is light is not something that we stare at, but light is less something you see directly and more something by which you see other things. So if this light of an all-in, Christ-soaked incarnation exists, why does the world not look great? Because it doesn't, in all expressions, I'm not stupid. And why does my world and your world not always look great if there's nothing being withheld? It's clear some things need reconciling somehow, isn't it? And I get that. And that is a whole other topic 
that I can't do justice to in sound bites, and that's not a cop-out, I promise. I've spent hours looking at this, but I'm just going to give you a taster, and we might have to come back to it another time. Um, and I'm not discounting it because it's massive. There has been so much said and written on the subject of suffering of all kinds and prayer, what's it for, how it works, and unanswered prayer. I read one book that outlined for me the 17 reasons why my prayers weren't being answered. Oh, boy. Um, they were contradictory, and I, it was so hard. I'm thinking, this is an impossible thing um, and contradictory. But if I keep, for now, the backdrop of a Christ-soaked world in the frame, as my hypothesis, I want to just make this suggestion for now. If we do indeed live in a Christ-soaked world, there is no more saturation that can be given as it's all in. But perhaps we do not always live as we do not always live Christ conscious, connected to ourselves and one another, and others don't either, this introduces choices and consequences and they just play out. They just play out as life plays out. And so we may pray and say the equivalent of God let it rain. Um, but if the world is already Christ soaked, how do you soak something that's already soaked? The only way I propose we could do it, if this is the hypothesis and this turns out to be anywhere near accurate, um, is would that be for all things to somehow be flowing freely without obstacle? So if human beings are the body of Christ and a part of this flow, the more collectively we awaken to the obstacles of our minds that keep us from Christ consciousness, the more we're all going to flow, and then the more that's gonna be, that soaking is going to be felt, and the more flow, the more drenched things will get as intended, and together, that third incarnation, the body of Christ, some of this stuff might just play out differently over time, the wherever and the whenever. And it is a hypothesis, and if correct, the consciousness that I'm talking about may not happen in our lifetime, as it's not happened yet, but perhaps this is our act in the great curtain of time, and we can only play our act as well as we can. And I read this and it feels a little bit where I am now. I can trust God ultimately, but I'm not trust sure I can trust God immediately. My view of time has altered so much in recent months. And I've, I've mentioned before having a more patient view of time. And one book I read about prayer said the key to prayer in whatever form, and there are so many, is to eliminate hurry. We're often in so much of a hurry for changing us, for changing other people, for change for the world, for outcomes and for plans and for what should be. And yet we, in the, the picture of the cosmos, are a blip in time. And perhaps some of this stuff, the reason why we don't see it is because it's just a longer extended period than the ones our brains want to accommodate. We want it now. We want to see it now. We want it to make sense now. And perhaps we're in this for the longer haul. I know there's gaps in what I've just said. I'm just giving you where I've got to. Um, to conclude then, a common phrase in church is to be born again. And that's usually referencing people who are separate from God coming into God's kingdom. But to propose an update to the definition, what if the born-again experience is being born continually into a greater consciousness of the thing we're already one with? What if that's being born again? 
However long that takes, whatever we see of that in our lifetime, that's ours. And what if that would help us with our separation anxiety, a worry that we could have about our apartness? Because we know the picture often given, most often given in, in, in church as well, is slavery to freedom, and I, I concur. Um, but I struggle to consent freely to the thought that each of us have to work out how and when we can enter the presence of God or have that presence in us. How can I make that happen in my prayer, in my worship, in my acts of service, in loving my neighbor? If I can only get the combination right, I unlock the presence of God. I just can't do it. it I can't go back. That's, that's my return swim and I can't go there. And that's a breeding ground for me for this separateness. And we end up with this, what I can only keep thinking in my mind, it's a hokey-cokey God. You know, you put your right arm in, your right arm out, in, out, in, out. You shake it all about. It's like, God will be with you. God won't be with you. He'll be with them. He won't be with them. I can't do it. It makes no sense to me. Um, but I can consent freely to how I connect my own being and my own mind and consciously engage in this thing called life. And in connecting to that, I connect to my wave, which in itself is already in the ocean. And so flow is found. So although I was programmed that I had to get outside of myself to find God, that's the opposite way for me now. I have to go inwards through myself and my own program to the mystery of divine presence within me that then unblocks the pipes so things flow better in me, through me, to others. It's not selfish and it doesn't exclude Christ at all. It's just acknowledging for me where I think Christ is. Um, and when I encourage you to do the same, I'm not asking you to not find God. I'm asking you to find God and to go that way. I doubt my cosmic separation now more than ever. It's helping me stop fighting that separation anxiety when I feel it, to swim in a new way and to create new pathways. So I am becoming. And out of that oneness that I am seeking to know um, as I keep updating my programming. And if, I, if it turns out what I've said to you this morning is all wrong, I'll just update again. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I honestly am. I'm open. I pray that something flows to you today that you can hear, engage with, and reflect on against your backdrop to move you closer to your fullest expression of a divinely appointed Christ in your life because I do believe that that is where Christ resides. We are indeed the body, the body. Okay, thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>